Lasso. Good morning. So this morning we return to meditative cultivation of empathetic joy. And if we return to the Mahayana liturgy that I mentioned before, begin, you remember that it begins with this question, why couldn't we all never be parted from happiness free of suffering? May it be so. And then it continues from there. That very notion strikes some people as problematic. How could there be such a thing as happiness with no sorrow? How can there be left with no right, up with no down? It seems like, how would you even know it's happiness if you didn't have suffering? So some people kind of say, this this doesn't make any sense logically. It's not possible. It shouldn't be possible. And would it even be good just to be going happy, 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 happy all the time? Happy, 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 happy. No matter what happens, you know. An asteroid hits the, hits the, hits the planet, wipes out most of the population. Happy, 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 happy. So, you know, these qualms are not without reason. But they really fundamentally stem from the notion that happiness is equivalent to hedonic happiness. It would be, would it be possible to be hedonically happy all the time? And if it were, would that even be something desirable? And my strong suspicion is no and no. Right? But then if we consider genuine happiness, and not something necessarily so lofty and unimaginable, way beyond reach, but simply the, the sense of genuine happiness, the Buddha spoke about, the happiness that arises from leading an ethical way of life, a wholesome way of life, really doing one's best not to inflict harm, not unless it's clearly a greater good, like maybe having to Punish your child. Go to your room. You have to stay in your house. You know, you're grounded. That kind of thing. Child doesn't like it. There's a greater good. But apart from that, you know, just leading an, a non-injurious life, a benevolent life, and also just having that sense of just practicing Dharma, just waking up every day and then practicing Dharma all through the day, knowing that whatever, re- whatever situation comes up, no matter what it is, including an asteroid hitting the planet, anything coming up, there's always a, re- a way to respond to that situation in accordance with Dharma. There's always something. There's always some way that is in accordance with Dharma. And doing that to the best of one's ability, I think a number of you know this, by leading such a way of life, even without any meditation per se, there's a sense of satisfaction, of well-being, a sense this was a meaningful day, this was a good day, I'm content with the day. And that's independently of anything happening to us hedonically. Now, could one have every just every day like that? Why not? And would you want to have a day just for variety? Well, let's just throw out Dharma today. Let's just be really unethical and screw people. You know, just so I can I remember what it's like. You know, it doesn't make any sense. So one could just have every day filled with kind of a baseline, a sense of well-being that's rooted in an ethical way of life. So... I don't see any need for contrast. I don't know why that couldn't just go on forever. It's a little bit like being healthy. If you're, you know, some people hardly ever get ill. What's wrong with that? You know? Can you, can you not enjoy good health without being ill? You know? So I don't think so. I think it's fine. Why not? If we could just be healthy every day, that would be very nice. Why not? Okay? We don't need to have illness just for variety. And so there's that level, and then there's a deeper level, of course, and as we track the Buddha's own teachings here, the sense of well-being that arises from samadhi. And so we, it would not be helpful, as is so clearly stated by Dujun Lingba and so forth, to achieve shamatha and then just be blissing out all the time. 
But as Tsongkhapa, on the other hand, points out, if you achieve shamatha and you settle into that bliss, it's very nice. But what he comments is when you come out of samadhi, having achieved shamatha, your normal state of the way your, your body feels to you and your mind feels to you, it's just a whole elevation of your sense of well-being because your mind is remarkably healthy. It's grounded, it's stable, it's clear, it's relatively unperturbed by mental afflictions. There's kind of a background sense of well-being that just kind of flows through the day and the night. And generally, energetically speaking, a real lightness of buoyancy of your body. And as the Dalai Lama commented just a couple of days, a couple of years ago, once you've achieved shamatha in this lifetime, there's really no good reason to lose it. Now, you could, but you really shouldn't. And so in other words, that becomes a new, whole new baseline of exceptional mental health, you know, energetically having a really nice impact on the body. That's a state of well-being. Why would you want to have a bad day, you know, a non-shamadha day? That could just be your baseline, right? Let alone, let alone the deepest one, where you're tapping into rikpa itself, pristine awareness. And then, of course, when you're practicing Dzogchen, and once you've had the taste of rikpa, then your practice becomes very simple. So just don't do anything else. Just sustain that awareness of Rikpa as continuously as possible, day and night, and don't do anything else. And then just let it flower. Total discovery model. Let it flower. Just bubble up, bubble up, bubble up, until your mind is simply Buddha mind, and you are simply a Buddha. And then you can just be a Buddha forever. And you don't need to have any Buddha off days. <laughs> you know, like what would it be like to be a really grungy sentient being? Oh, no, maybe I, I've been there, done that already. So there it is. So, I think when we really focus on eudaimonic well-being, it makes perfectly good sense. And then why couldn't we? Why couldn't we? Why couldn't all sentient beings, you know, avoid abuse and slander and dishonesty and physical, physical, you know, misconduct? Why couldn't we? You know, really, is that somehow intrinsically ingrained in human behavior that we have to be stinkers? Why couldn't we unstinkify ourselves and just have that be normal? Right? And likewise for the samadhi, since everybody's got a substrate consciousness, why couldn't we? And since everybody has Buddha nature, why couldn't we? There's really no good reason. So there's that. And then you might recall the end of the liturgy is, may, may the gurus, may the enlightened ones, the deities, may they bless me that I may bring each one to a state of such well-being free of suffering. So there... It really, it's really up to each of us whether we want to even go there at all into that mode. It's a very devotional mode. Up to us. We may on the one hand, when we, when we're looking for inspiration, we're looking for juice, we're looking for blessings, we may bring to mind our own guru. We may bring to mind Tara. We may bring to mind Buddha Shakyamuni, the five Buddha families. We may be thinking of someone who comes to mind, right? And then calling for blessings. Perfectly legitimate. And then the more one learns about, if one has faith, the more one learns about what are the qualities of being a Bodhisattva, an Arya Bodhisattva, a Buddha, and so forth, the more one learns about the qualities of that, then that brings greater richness, greater depth and meaning to one's call, one's supplication, one's request for blessings. So there's one approach. One can say that's a developmental approach, of thinking of the Buddhas as being other, the gurus being other, and calling upon their wisdom, their compassion, that we can be blessed by them. It makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense to recognize that where we're really getting the blessings for is not from some outside source, you know, as if you're a lama, if your lama lives in Nepal, you know, 
I hope I hope your blessings travel at least as fast as, as speed speed of sound or speed of light, you know, because it's kind of distant or in America. Oh my goodness, that's eight thousand miles. Call extra loud, <laughs> big transmitter, something like that. You know, having a sense: Are they really coming from someplace else physically? Blessings coming through the space? I don't think so. That ultimately, all the blessings we receive are coming from our own Buddha nature. And all the appearances of the gurus, of the enlightenments and so forth, are nothing other than our own appearances. But then everything hinges on our own, okay, our self, who, I, my appearances. Good. Alan Wallace's appearance? That's silly. Alan Wallace's substrate appearances? Silly. Makes no sense. Each the Rikpa, the pristine awareness put in nature of each individual? Yeah, that makes sense. So we can then call on blessings from our own Buddha nature. It's really taking refuge in our own Buddha nature. Calling for blessings there from within and then manifesting it outwards. So I'll end on this very brief note from Gatrikamacha years ago when I was translating for him in the San Francisco, in San Francisco itself. He'd had, had some students there uh, that had been receiving teachings from him for a couple of decades, 20, 30 years. And he had a sense that some of them were kind of dissatisfied, kind of losing inspiration, dissatisfied that they hadn't made more progress. You know, five years, 10, 15, 20 years goes by, and they thought they would be levitating by now, or at least, you know, light flowing from the heart, something really cool happening, you know. And kind of, uh, the practice hadn't lived up to their expectations, hadn't progressed as much as they wished, hoped for, anticipated, or expected. And so he looked up at him, and I was translating for him, and he said, well, so you're frustrated with the slowness of your progress, or maybe a lack of progress. There's a reason for that. Lack of faith. But then he commented, he said, what I'm referring to is not lack of faith in the Buddhas, in the Guru, in somebody outside. Lack of faith in yourself. Because you lack faith in yourself. That's why. You're going so slowly. So, so this dovetails very nicely with this afternoon's meditation when we'll be going in and knocking down the barriers that obscure our own nature. So that the very notion of taking refuge in one's own rikpa can make more and more sense. Okay. Find a comfortable position. Say, say again. Yes, Anuri wrote me, she just has a bit of a headache. And then the two people that left, they left for very good reasons. I'm perfectly content with that. They made good decisions. So no problem. All is well. Okay? Good. Find a comfortable position.
settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural state. You may count the breaths at the beginning to help calm the discursive mind. As we see in this Mahayana context, cultivation of mudita, rather than simply being an emotion of taking delight, it turns into an aspiration. It's so easy for us to stand outside of ourselves, judge ourselves, look down upon ourselves, the whole issue of low self-esteem. Very easy. But let's go ahead and stand outside ourselves but now in a benevolent fashion. And ask this question, why couldn't I never be parted from happiness, genuine happiness, free from sorrow? May it be so. May I bring this about. And may I receive the blessings to enable me to do so. Arouse these yearnings with each in and out breath. With each in breath as you wish. You may imagine a drawing in the light of blessings from all the awakened ones in all the directions, converging in upon your body and mind. Or with each in-breath you may imagine drawing from this inexhaustible source of light at your heart, 
as if drawing from a well. With each in-breath, imagine this light flowing forth from your heart and permeating your whole being. each in and out breath imagine experiencing such well-being, never parting from it. Step by step, from the foundation of ethics and the benevolent way of life, to the clear mind, the open heart of samadhi, and the liberation of wisdom. Let your imagination soar as you imagine experiencing such states of well-being.
expand your awareness outwards, letting your attention go where it will, either deliberately focusing on certain individuals or simply allowing them to come to mind. And with each out-breath, breathe out this yearning. May you, like myself, never be parted from genuine happiness, free of sorrow.
And if you will arouse this great mudita, this great joy, as an aspiration, may I bring each one to such a state where they are never parted from genuine happiness, free of sorrow. And as you arouse that aspiration, then reality must strike. The reality must come home. But in order to lead others to such a state of well-being, how can any of us be effective if we've not realized it for ourselves? In this way you may transmute mudita into bodhicitta.
release all appearances. Let your awareness rest in its own nature. With regard to these two modes of happiness, the hedonic, the eudaimonic, the strategies are so different. Just check for yourself through your own experience, but when you when you launch out in the pursuit of hedonic well-being or happiness, pleasure, see for yourself whether it doesn't always come from some sense of restlessness, ill at ease, not peaceful agitated, needy, and then oh, out we go to hunter and hunt and gather. Right? Whereas and frankly, Dharma people practice Dharma, we can do the same thing. It happens all the time. Launching out what Lama will make me happy? What empowerment will make me happy? What mantra will make me happy? What ritual will make me happy? What retreat will make me happy? Maybe eight weeks in Phuket will make me happy. Dream on. But now you know better. Now you know better. There was no happiness waiting for you here. Right? Cultivation of eudaimonic well-being comes from serenity. It comes from release. It comes from stillness. A lack of stimulation. Letting go. 
a sense of ease, relaxation, comfort, a sense of serenity, stillness, non-conceptuality. And out of that midpoint, right in the middle, right there, that's where sooner or later, all in good time, bliss can arise. But any bliss we get, even from Dharma, that's, oh, this Lama is so wonderful, oh, that Dharma center is so wonderful, oh, this is so wonderful, and we're going out and latching onto it. Why isn't that just one more expression of attachment? I don't have a good answer for that one. So cherishing one's teachers, one's traditions, the temples, and so forth and so on, all good. All of that is designed. All the teachings, the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, the gurus, all the shrines, the temples, the retreat centers, and so forth, are all there simply to help us find the happiness from within. At least that's, that's my guess. I think so. Enjoy your day.